I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. Journeying now for 30 years into the life and practice of yoga, I have met many who have taken interesting turns when past extraordinary bumps and reached unexpected places. People with whom I shared conversations about everyday struggles, intimate realizations, larger questions, ideas and dreams. So today, I'm passing on the mic to one of them so we could hear and celebrate the wisdom in people's differences and experiences. Hello, good day, welcome back to the show. My name is Alexandra and today I'm sitting down with Barbara Weston. Hello, Barbara. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? Good. Good. Yes. Are you ready for this show? Are you ready to talk to me so that other people can hear your experiences? Yeah. Okay. I'm very ready. Yes. You're very ready. Yes. Wonderful. Dear listener, Barbara Weston is, a, she is originally from Canada, right? From Vancouver, yes. aren't you? Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver. And she spent a good portion of her life in Ireland when she moved there in in her 30s and then she spent a good portion there and now she is back oh well not back you're you moved to the states we can't say back it's after all this country <laughs> it's close by and this is such a big thing between Canadians and Americans but we won't go there because this is not the topic while we're here <laughs> so Barbara moved to um to the east coast coast of America. She is the mom of three West kids. Coast. West Coast. Oops. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Me. E I, even further. Even further. <laughs> even closer to Canada. Closer uh, to Canada, further from the east, yes. Yeah. For Ireland. Yeah. Well anyway, you're the proud mother of three. Married two. 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 Shall I shall I look at the show notes? This is like the funniest conversation you've gone to listen to, dear listener. <laughs> this is me kind of trying to from the top of my we head. We do know each other. Alex and I do know each other. We do know each other. That's why I can do that to her. <laughs> yeah. And she is a wonderful um, wife to Alan, her husband. Now you're telling me you're not married, and I'm going to no, crack no. up. <laughs> Alan's still around. <laughs> He's still my husband. Okay, so this is a funny introduction. It's, maybe it's a good way to introduce the heavy topic of grief and death that we want to touch upon here. Because Barbara lost her brother a while back, and that left her bereft beyond her own beliefs in how deep emotions can travel in us. Barbara, do you want to talk a little bit about where you're coming from, you know, like a little bit of your background. You're also a spiritual person and you're also somebody who is dived into the psychology of the mind and so on and so forth. So maybe just you do the introduction yourself. Sure. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're right. I So I lost my brother February 2019. You know, we lost my brother, my mother lost her son. I have mm. sisters and brothers as well, aunties, uncles, cousins. We all were very shocked. It was a sudden death. So we, uh, we all have been spending this time since February. Well, we found out February 9th, 2019. 
spending that time just coming to terms with it. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose my, my, my overall feeling about dealing with this death in particular, because all of us have had to deal with death, of, mm. you know, of some kind or another, very close loved ones, distant relatives, still, it's all, you know, something that we have to come to terms with, all of us. But um, I just have the recurring thing that keeps coming to me is that there's nothing quite like death and particularly sudden death. I think that there are differences, mm. um, but a sudden death of a loved one to just basically immediately throw you into this place where you're like identifying and, and engaging what's most meaningful in your life. Uh, I think grief also with the, uh, the uncomfortable feelings that come up with grief because they're, you know, it's, uh there's so many metaphors you know people talk about like feeling like they're at sea you know without a rudder in a boat you know without a rudder or like mm. waves like this enormous wave just encompassing you and all of these things are so true like all, every metaphor was helpful for me <laughs> in the midst you know in the real thick of it yeah but and uh but yeah you go ahead okay i just was going to say that i you know, my brother and I, we're, we're a very big family. My, my dad was much older than my mother mm. and my brother and I were the two youngest children. Um, my dad's kids, some of them were the same age as my mom, you know, around the same age as my mom when they got together. So there was 10 kids all together. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, I've already lost one sister, one older sister. I lost her to lung cancer many mm. years ago. Mm. Um, but I didn't have the same relationship with her because she was much older and I yeah. wasn't living with her or around her. Yeah. My brother still had a very close relationship with him and him and I lost our dad when I was 12 and my brother was nine. So mm. I'd been through, I'd been through this grief. I remembered, I remembered this grief. <laughs> it was familiar, still different with a brother, but, but you know, my brother and I dealt with the death of our father very differently. Yeah. And it's interesting how then that, you know, the, the, the paths our lives took, how it prepared us or not for more loss in our, in our lives. Because, you know, life is wonderful. Life is beautiful. There's gorgeous, positive things that happen all the time. And then there's loss. <laughs> that It's inevitable, you know. So, so I feel like, you know, there's things in my past that prepared me, the death of my father, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 30 years old mm. and my marriage, my first marriage was falling apart at the same time. So mm. I'd been kind of hit with these losses before and had mm. to navigate through them. So it doesn't make point. it easier. Yeah. And was that a point, because I know you through your practice and, um, well, your yoga practice, and I know you were, you were at the time when we got to know each other, a Buddhist uh, monk with mm -hmm. a steady meditation practice together, mm -hmm. together with your husband. And if, mm -hmm. would you say that uh, the hen was there before the egg? So did you pick up all these devices and tools <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to help yourself, or was it the other way around? I think it's almost impossible to say what came first because I have very philosophical parents and they would have talked that way around me my entire life. Mm. I think we're doing that. I think Alan and I are doing that again with our children. There's no question is a silly question. Nothing is taboo. We can talk about everything and anything. And so I think 
questioning was always a part of mm. my childhood, I was encouraged. I was encouraged to question. And so as I became a teenager and a young adult, the questions got bigger. <laughs> And I, I naturally was drawn to people. And I think people were naturally drawn to me who, like, I remember having a male friend, really close friend when I was like 18 or 19, who was totally into Taoism. Mm. I'd never heard of Taoism and he introduced me to it. And so like, I was always exploring these things, always trying to not necessarily look for God, but, but look for meaning. I, I just always have been interested and fascinated with how things work and why, you know? Yeah. And then when your brother died, what was, you know, no, we, you, we're getting to know you a little. And so we hear that you're, you know, close to the spiritual world, that you're familiar with different techniques. So when your brother mm -hmm. died, what, what truly happened? What, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. going back to the very uh, moment, if I may, when you received the news, you know, and maybe even mm. the hours and days after, mm. uh, what mm -hmm. happened? Yeah. So the, well, that's, that's a phone call that in, on some level I was always expecting because my brother had a history, had a 25 year history of, uh, substance dependency. Mm. And, uh, it was something that was open. Our family talked about it. It wasn't a secret. Um, so when I got that phone call, um, even though I'd probably prepared for that phone call in my head and even nearly had the conversation mm. with my mother many times, it threw me. I, I, I literally had a physiological uh, collapse. Like I just remember falling to the floor, my, my breath, the wind was taken out of my lungs yeah. um, and, and just, just being... Like when you're, when you're faced with it, it's the ultimate reality, right? Somebody is born or somebody dies. These are the ultimate realities and uh, wrapping your head around it. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like being in an altered state of consciousness for a good while. And um, it was interesting too, because my, my daughter in particular kept saying, my tummy hurts and I can't breathe. And I kept saying to her, that's grief. That's grief. We're, we're, I'm feeling it too. You know, mm. there was a, there was, she noticed it, you know, there was a somatic uh, element to the grief as well. Yeah. So that, you know, that lays this um, almost like a foundation, if you like, because nothing feels very strong. There doesn't feel like there's a foundation. It feels like it's gone. But that is the foundation is being able to notice you're still here. I still have feelings. Yeah might be great feelings they might be really difficult uncomfortable feelings hmm. and i i always liken it to meditation where when you're meditating you're allowing the thoughts to come into your mind you're not pushing them away it's not well you're trying not to sometimes hmm. you don't <laughs> sometimes you might but you're trying to allow the thoughts to come in and the thoughts to go without trying to manipulate or change them. And that's how I felt about grief is that I had to let the feelings come. Mm. And if they sat there, they sat there. If they started to shift or move or something started to, you know, other memories or other thoughts or feelings came up, I just allowed it because I, I thought if I keep, if I try to push this away, it's coming back. It's not going anywhere, <laughs> Do you know? So the idea that, the idea that, um, 
you know, that, that grief is something that we manage or that we um, get over, you know, like mm. that there's a time period. It's, that's gone. Like I, I just, you know, I never thought that anyways, but it's just more pronounced for me that like, you know, people grieve their whole lives for people. And, and, you know, mm. not, not in a pathological way, not in a way that they can't function because that's mm. also yeah. something else. But, um, but also the number one thing, like the, 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 the overall feeling mm. that kept coming back to me was one of love mm. and, and just recognizing that, um, that grief and love are, I mean, they're inextricably linked. That's it. They are one and the same. And that, that's wow. what's helped. That knocks the wind out of me. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, yeah, it knocks the wind out of me because what I'm hearing you say is that when we, you know, sometimes we need to go all the way into a scenario and that happened to you, you know, at first. Um, uh, first the diagnosis with your disease and then then that point of subtle grief and then the big grieveness uh, or the big grief grieveness doesn't mm -hmm. exist I think as words um, but I know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> that's good and what I heard what I read okay let me reiterate what it touched in me was that I read lately by a psychologist um, who mm. I who I'm fond of Gay Hendricks because he does both ends he does the psychology and he does the the higher belief systems and you know really mm. interlinking the bigger picture and he says you know you can never know how what you're trying to numb or when you don't stop drinking you can never know what you're trying to erase when you take the painkiller you know and so what I'm hearing you say you didn't have another choice I mean a the disease you were diagnosed with is something that you don't just you know chuck over the shoulder and then it disappears it's mm. something that requires really really deep work if you want to manage it you know like mental deep work as I know from Ayurveda and treatments that you might not first consider and then this, the next thing yeah. happens is is the death, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and so you, mm -hmm. yeah. what I'm hearing you going through is this experience of waking up in a way that's not subtle any longer, in no way, yeah, and then sitting no. with it and <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's it's that, and it's also like like you were you were saying, you know, what are these things like what what came first you know this questioning or this you know reading or practicing of you know buddhist concepts but also you know like i like i you know would have explored taoism and would have explored buddhism and would have explored um you know the vedic texts when you're studying yoga you know the upanishads and the bhagavad gita and hmm. all of the lessons <laughs> in in those books are you know the universal these are universal truths they're not they're not um distinct to any culture yeah. so so everything that we've read and everything that we've experienced and will continue to experience and read as long as we're alive i think those are the that's the kind of people we are and lots of people are that are listening to your podcast are people who are questioning and mm. always learning you know those things those things are there somewhere 
even mm. if even if I'm not thinking about them consciously every day, they're there. Yeah. And so, like you're saying about Gay Hendricks, or like I, um, I would have read, you know, people like Mark Epstein, mm. um, even even like I I have a very political side too because I believe that the political is personal and the personal is political, and um, so like somebody like Barbara Ehrenreich, you know, she wrote a book called Smile or Die which just blew me away because it it was it was showing the psychology of like sort of um positivity but almost like the tyranny of positivity if we're forced to be positive there's something that doesn't feel right about that so when you're grieving if people are saying oh come on like things i mean people do do this (laughs) it's hard to believe but people are like not are you over it but they'll be like well think about the good things think about the things that were really good that happened and it's like well that's not actually helpful for me (laughs) yeah why don't we talk about that a little bit because I noticed that Mm. as much in myself you know there is uh, being uncomfortable or being called out for making somebody uncomfortable in Mm. in naming the the obvious the blatant statement you know of like wow yeah you're really in deep grief you know is there any way I can talk mm. to you, but we're not able. Why do you think um, this has come to society that we don't mm. and don't talk emotion and don't tolerate emotions yeah. on a bigger scale? Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting because there was a part of me that was grieving so deeply, but also a part of me, the psychologist part of me, that was like, "Oh, this is fascinating." Watching people reacting to me, you know. <laughs> Some people could not reach out. Some people could not contact me. Or if they did, it was very surface. They just didn't even want to say, how are you? Because then they would have to hear. And, and, you know, I have compassion for, for people who are so uncomfortable with the idea of death, even that they can't talk about it. Mm. And I, I, I feel for them because I think you, this is going to be harder for you one day when you are faced with this because you know until you start working through these feelings until you start becoming familiar with the uncomfortable Hmm. you know as well as the comfortable with with the whole landscape of emotions yeah then it's going to be difficult to face this you know enormous loss when it is somebody close to you when it happens because it will you know, like I used to jokingly say to my husband, he'd be off to work and he'd be going out the door and we'd be having a little conversation. Then as he'd walk out the door, I'd say, remember, everybody dies. Like, because <laughs> it's like, you know, it's good to remember that every day. It's good to remember like that every moment really is a moment that we get to choose how we're going to move in the world, how we're going to think and feel. And, you know, sometimes those feelings are overwhelming. Mm. And so you're not choosing that. You're not choosing the overwhelming feeling. But you can choose to a certain extent, depending on your, like, attachment and uh, parenting and perinatal mental health and how babies and children, how we're raised and how that plays out through our lives. So, you know, the choice I'm being, maybe the word choice is a little too... um, privileged I don't think everybody has a choice how they feel how they react they don't necessarily get taught Mm. those coping skills or those ways to be and think and feel 
as children. But um, but whatever I was so fortunate to gain in my childhood has just completely just held me throughout, you know, so these kind of major you, significant yeah. events. What did you gain? Because uh, a bit of you broke up there, unfortunately for us, and oh, then you ended I'm up um, almost talking about the profession that you in, you know, mm. um, took on. So, and in my head, I was forming. So, how did you guide your kids, and what did you feel? What special technique was it that helped you to cope with it bit by bit? Um, yeah. yeah, can you I, go back I, to that? I can, yeah. So just just talking about overwhelming feelings and how sometimes, you know, I think we use choice a lot in, in our regular vernacular. I don't know if there's a word in German that gets used a lot that's similar to choice or is mm. choice. Mm. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of cultures, particularly are like Western cultures, we talk a lot about, well, you have a choice if you want to feel this or do this. or And, and sometimes sometimes we're not raised in an environment that gives us that choice. So I just want to yeah uh highlight that that you know i i'm privileged i yeah. i had a very you know pretty idyllic childhood as far as like my father died that was not idyllic but i still was raised in an environment that was loving i never i never felt like i wasn't loved and i i part of what i'm working with now is a group with the psychological society of ireland where we're um very much looking at the mental health of the family before a child's born, when they're born, into their early childhood, maybe up until school age, we're mm. kind of thinking about till five or six, but how those years can, you know, they, they create this thread that, that is with us until, oh, well, I know from my own grandmother who, who died four years ago, she was 93 when she died mm. and she still remembered things from her childhood. She had dementia, so she couldn't remember events that had happened a few days before but she could remember how she felt when she was five six seven eight years old so our feelings that's basically what i am trying with my children and with myself and with mm. my friends and with the people yeah. that i love it's eliciting the emotion because that's what is going to stay with you yeah. you know the events we can't remember what happened 20 years ago but we can remember how we felt at a certain time 20 yeah. years ago yeah and then those emotions get muddled up at times because the brain is very flawed in kind of, um, you know, it's always rewriting memories um, yeah. unless you're in a trauma. Well, then it then becomes our story. Yes. It's our story. It's our narrative. And that's, you know, and I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that narrative is so powerful because it's what it, it is what we're feeling. Do you know, we can't people are always being told your feelings are valid or they should be. I mean, I yeah. don't think everybody is, but, but our feelings are valid. And so we shouldn't feel that we have to manipulate them for somebody or for some, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for some yeah. reason other than, you know, what is authentic and genuine to us. Yeah. That's what you're saying with choice. I think that's what you're trying mm -hmm. to distinguish here mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, if we're not true to our own emotions as much as possible, um, then we are, then we are in the wrong narrative of our own story. And then only if we own our story, we can move forward. 
but what comes to mind, of course, on the bigger path that some of the listeners are interested in, it's important also not to identify too strongly with that story. Mm -hmm. And then I liberated myself and I went deep into, you know, we can get quite dramatic in that as well Mm -hmm. and find attachments on so many levels if we own the story. Absolutely. Hmm. Yes. And that's, it's funny because I used to, I used to speak about that in my yoga classes when I was teaching was because because it's there is a distinction you're right between attachment you know with your loved ones and attachment to ideas and things and you know there there is i like attunement because i think attuning and and sort of connecting yeah. with with people yeah. as as best as possible is 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 maybe a better definition or better idea of what I'm talking about when I say attachment because yeah then we have like a paragraha we have the yamas and the yamas telling us like well we're you know we're supposed to be practicing letting go (laughs) and uh, it's not always easy no and it's not easy but what we're not being told is that we cannot let go if we don't own the emotion and that's I think where we're coming back to your story where you feel like that grief was so overwhelming there was no other choice than owning Mm. that emotion and not kind of putting it away Mm. yeah yeah Mm. and and the uh, that's absolutely it not putting it away because it it's not being put away (laughs) if if you think you're putting something away it's you might be parking it and I do I do think that there is a time to do that even to just park something for a little bit take some Mm. time right Mm. but there's a difference again all these subtle nuanced differences between that and trying you know denial is when you actually don't know you're doing it so I do sometimes think that that's what happens is people you know distraction came up a lot for me you know Mm. with grieving is that like how the whole world nearly is built on selling us distraction. You know, it's like, don't think about that. Go buy this, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't feel that. Like, go feel this, you know, have this drink or have this, you know, newfound energy powder or whatever. <laughs> like, go do something else instead of what it is that you're yeah. doing. What did so. you do in in the that, those situations of grief? Because... I mean, I can quite easily easily distract myself with a little online game, you know, like simple mm-hmm. games or just mm-hmm. reading something important or listening to a good yeah. audio book or even reading is can be a distraction. So what what are you can. saying here? What happened to you? I think what happened to me was I I began to realize what my motivation was. Mm. even clearer you know when I when I felt I was moving towards some kind of distraction there were some days I can tell you I was exhausted because grief is exhausting Mm. and I would just be like you know what that's what I'm doing today you know like Mm. I I wouldn't I I also wouldn't add the um, self-deprecation on top of already feeling so uh, you know at, at a loss literally at a loss so you know, if the distractions came up, I, I would play that game, or I would read the book. Hmm. And I'd know I was doing that because I needed a break from yeah. the intensity. Yeah. But the intensity was still there. It's not like I was eliminating it. It's not like I was going, okay, I'm going to just not feel that because it was always there. It's still there. You know, I can still feel it, but not as intensely, maybe. But I would, I think I was telling you, I'm just going to show you this book was 
Mm. I don't know if it's reversed. We have to read it for the book. listeners here. Yeah. So that's yeah, Bell Books. Yeah. It's all about love. And it's mm. a book by Bell Hooks. She's, um, she's a black Christian Buddhist feminist. And she's also a professor. <laughs> and um, this book is her exploration of how romantic love is how we're kind of stereotypically when we think of the word love we think about like a heart and like two people <laughs> you know we think about romantic love this is about transformative love this is about how love is in our everyday uh, uh exchanges you yeah. know when we're out and about in the world maybe not during covid but even in covid it's so important we see what's happening in the world and yeah boy we need more love <laughs> and it's so funny how these things come um come to light these days together with the black lives matters and you were talking to me and saying like ever since i moved you know my life has been like one thing after another like almost drama you know like your your brother died the next thing we had um COVID, then we mm -hmm. you have the wildfires in California. And we had an earthquake, I was saying. Oh, yeah, you had a, yeah, yeah, you had a minor earthquake, but yeah. Yeah, you had a minor earthquake. But what I wanted to refer back to is that there is so many new voices or voices that have been out there for so long and not being heard properly by us. And um, I just listened to a podcast, Angel Kyoto Williams. Are you familiar with her? She's a black queer reverence yeah, you know so, and yeah it's amazing how these women show up but funny enough i have to go back to a male example here what i wanted to talk about is that when we talk about love um sometimes it's so hard to find in these more masculine traditions like hatha yoga or if you go to a strict to a strict zen school my Zen teacher freed herself of that and uh, Kevin Morgan in Portland. Mm -hmm. And okay. and now I met this man who who liberated himself from the Protestant church and, you mm -hmm. know, be, becoming a an artist and then a speaker. And he was initiated by um, a Kashmiri tantric yogini, a real wow. yogini. And when I'm with him, there is always that wickedness and hand, you know, where we're, where I've learned so much through my upbringing to be the good one, you know, like uh, strive mm -hmm. for this and you don't let that go. And when you were mm -hmm. talking about like, oh, and then I took the box because it's so exhausting to grieve, you know, it's just like, you know, I can't do this anymore. It's like with my period pain, ex uh, excuse me, male listeners, <laughs> but it's like that, you know, like sometimes I just I can't, I can't go deeper in this pain. This is enough of mm -hmm. listening to this pain and I take something, mm -hmm. you know, and I heard you mm -hmm. saying that and what my tantric teacher would say at this moment in time, he would say, well, at least enjoy it, you know, enjoy that book. Mm -hmm. It's not about, it's not only through suffering that you see the light, but being aware of when you suffer. I think that's the main yes. distinction I'm copying onto after so many years. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's it. It's like, it's not pushing it away because pushing it away just puts it somewhere else temporarily. And it's there, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. somewhere else inside of you. It's not uh you're you're not going to be able to ignore it forever <laughs> and like maybe some people do but I don't think the people who are listening to your podcast the people who are you know trying to 
trying to practice something authentically. You know, like it's it's so it's so hard. I have to say, moving over to the U.S., I I see a lot of variations on practices that I would normally be like, you know, I would say, wow, this is you know, this is a real, this is a practice that's very spiritual, and the people who are dedicated and committed are people I want to spend time with. And then I realized like there's a whole marketing side here. It's not that I was naive and didn't realize that, mm. but I think living in Ireland, you do live in a little bit of a bubble. Ireland's like this island yeah. that, you know, like, yeah. you know, living in Ireland, it's, there's something very protective about living in mm. Ireland. And um, even though, you know, it all, the, all these things exist in Ireland too, the, the positive stuff and the not so positive stuff. But but in the U.S., I've seen how much marketing is a part of spirituality and well-being. And so I'm just trying to dive into, like, you know, listening. I, I was part of a workshop the other day that was on decolonizing whiteness and, mm. and like, health and well-being. Because I'm part of that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I go off and do my teacher training. And I, you know, um, and then I use another culture's values and teachings to teach myself so you know it's all related in that I know that I'm doing that and so I have to I have to just say it you know I have to put it out there instead of like ignoring it and being like oh I hope it goes away and I hope that this you mm. know Black Lives Matter mm. protests start to calm down and no it has all this stuff has to come up because yeah because it's been going on all the time it's not like yeah. Trump brought it to America it's not like it wasn't here for years, you know? Mm. So mm. I, I kind of feel like being in America is really interesting, <laughs> watching all this stuff happening and then in the lens of somebody who is spiritual, is, is seeing this from the perspective of, you know, also grieving. So seeing things very clearly, grief is incredible. It just pulls this veil away. <laughs> it's not there anymore, it's gone. You know, everything is very clear and, um, and yeah, I can just see that, like, like I, I think I am thinking a lot about what is harmful, what is not harmful. Am I causing myself harm? And I'm, am I causing somebody else harm? And that's very much related to how my brother died, too. You know, he, he died, mm. he was supposed to be in Europe. He was supposed to be flying out to Europe mm. the, the day that he died. We all thought he was in Europe. Oh. What he'd done was he'd done, he'd done a last little bit of drugs. We gather, we will never know, mm. but just judging from toxicology reports and stuff, he he was trying to escape a little bit before he had to fly off to Europe and he overdosed. We don't know whether, you know, he, fentanyl is a big problem around mm. the world now. Um, and there was fentanyl found in his body along with alcohol and other drugs. But, um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's made me think very deeply about distraction and how destructive it can be when oh. it takes over when somebody oh. doesn't have choice. Do you know, that's why I was getting yeah. back to choice too, is he didn't have a choice. When you're addicted to substances. Yeah, when it, the body takes over, when the chemicals take over, I mean, this happens to me frequently on a different level and we call it alcohol, you know, like mm -hmm. there's times when I'm very good without alcohol and it's not even calling me. And then it, it, it kind mm -hmm. of slips back into my life because I know I'm good and I'm not an alcoholic and I can afford mm -hmm. to, and then suddenly, when you know once there has been like a 
a little bit more than usual or more regular you know my body Absolutely, takes over yeah. the the body chemistry just talks to yeah yeah through yeah. you and that's why we you know why there is sometimes such a strong practice in the physical practices around like when to get up and what to eat and mm -hmm. when to eat and rhythmic eating is a big thing in ayurveda yeah. you have this twice a year cleansing which i offer and so, you know, just mm -hmm. to kind of re-level and not to come into, not to be too dependent on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and restriction too. I think mm. restriction is really interesting because we, we, again, talking about America and how much bigger everything is here. Mm. There's so much about restriction. Yeah. Oh, don't eat that. Don't eat that. Clean eating. You know, all this kind of, all these words for it too. The language is so interesting. Um, and I think it's just getting back to psychology you restrict something and you just want it more <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like it's like all of us right now we're restricted in our going out and we just everybody wants to travel and everybody wants to see everybody even more now because yeah. we can't do it so yeah when you're talking about eating uh, you know substances like like alcohol which people can use responsibly i think people can use recreational drugs responsibly i'm not yeah. you know like yeah. I'm not anti-drugs at all. No, it's, it's not it's, about that. It's about the choice why you're taking it. Are you taking it just to be distracted or are you taking it to, you know, have a limited good time? But maybe your brother just yeah. wanted to have a limited good time. Well, you never know. You well, know? I think he got to that point. No, I think he definitely, yeah. we talked about it. I mean, he'd be very open about it. Mm. And we would talk about it and he would say, I like drugs. Mm. You know, uh, they make me feel good. And... And what I've talked to, you know, some of his friends and some people who are former users and have been mm. sober for a long time, they say what they didn't see in my brother was that psychic shift mm. where he was like, I like drugs, but they're actually not good for me. <laughs> you know, they're not actually doing, maybe I feel good taking them, but the after effect and the shame cycle and all the things that yeah. come with these drugs, you know, it's it, that part he didn't want to deal with. So, yeah, yeah. Oh my! So, how do you how do you remember your brother? How do you remember your brother these days? I mean, what do you do to? Oh, I just I I just remember him in the most loving. I mean, I remember him as a as a little boy. We spent so much time together as kids and as teenagers and as young adults. He came over to Ireland, you know, a few times. So we spent a lot of time together, and I just remember how funny i mean super charming very handsome guy very talented incredibly talented musician we i'm very i'm i love music music got me through a lot of my grieving mm. too it really helped so you know i i listened to his music oh. um i listened to his singing because he had a beautiful singing voice that's i mean photographs like there's so much and plus my mom mailed me <laughs> down in california i have a bunch of his ashes Hmm. I just I bring him with me sometimes he's just in my purse <laughs> so I just you know he, he's but that's a physical right it's but he's always with me I just feel that's that's um that's where language fails us right like because everybody says yeah. that that person's with me but he is he he's like love cannot be destroyed hmm. so that love is within all the time and it's I get to talk to my mom about that thankfully you know, I think it must be hard if you have relatives, close relatives who just don't understand this stuff or don't want to talk about it. But I luckily, you know, my mom and I really are um, 
able to just kind of go through we'll we'll cry together we'll laugh together you know it's yeah. it's remembering him is just yeah remembering him how he lived well thank you for this very long and beautiful conversation barbara <laughs> and for the final thank words you. um and wisdom and may the listener who is in the same situation take some comfort in your words mm. yeah. yeah i i just wanted to say that if anybody wanted to contact me i'm very happy for you oh, yeah. to give out my email address because i do i felt like especially losing a brother to overdose i know i'm not the only person i know just from statistics there's a lot of us who are kind of silently trying to work out these kinds of addiction yeah. drug overdose difficulties yeah. so i'm i'm happy to talk to anybody beautiful and if you are the one who wants to talk to her but we always have in the show notes on my website we have the contact possibilities and i also have a facebook group that is for podcast listeners so mm -hmm. if you want to come on and talk to barbara we might be also able to arrange like a live facebook and then we can have these conversations for others to follow or you can of course just talk to her privately as she offered yeah absolutely yeah well many many things have a wonderful day barbara thanks for coming thank you and alex <laughs> lovely to see us. you yeah very good to see you too <laughs> and to talk to you and goodbye dear listener see you next week if you enjoy listening to my podcast please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash alexandra kreis and pledge your donation